So if I had to title the talk, I would title it 12 Ounce Blues. 12 Ounce Blues. So answer this question. Let's just do it for the sake of having fun this morning. How many of you in here would raise your hand, and nobody's going to throw rocks and dog yet, but how many of you would say, it's wrong to drink? Raise your hand. Anybody? All right, we got one hand up. It's because you're 14 and not legal. Uh, how many? <laughs> how many of you would say, it's okay to drink as long as you don't get drunk? How many would kind of fall into that camp? All right, we've got some alcoholics in here today, so <laughs> not only do we have Brandy, we've got Al, and we've got all kinds of uh, Jose and Jack. I saw Jack over here and Evan. We've got all the representation. Hey, bud, how you doing? And, uh, and so we've got them represented. How many of you would say, I don't really know, I'm not sure. Raise your hand. That's a, that's, 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 that's a truthful answer. What do you believe and what were you taught? What's your marinade? Now, let me get to a text. It's in your bulletin, Romans chapter 14. I'm going to stay in Romans 14 a good bit today. Verse 1 says, except, except, the word except means to make room for, except the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Weak in the faith. Maybe not as strong, maybe not grounded and sounded in biblical truth as long as maybe the person next to him. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak may only eat veggies. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who does eat. God's made room for all. One person regards one day above another, Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Each person must have a resolve in their own heart, in their own mind. Now, the scripture says that whatever is not of faith is sin. So, we've got to comb through this. Am I doing it in faith? Am I doing it in freedom in Christ? What does the Bible say? What does God say? And I would even pose this question. Am I justifying a behavior that I know brings no glory to God just so that I can stay in bondage? That's where a lot of people are. They stay in bondage. Now, as we pose the question, what does God say? I'm not asking you what your Baptist flavor says, your Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, Lutheran flavor says. I'm asking what does God say? I was told growing up that all drinking was wrong. That's what I was told. Drinking is wrong. Almost Bobby Boucher's drinking is of the devil. <laughs> I know some of y'all can quote some water boy in here. I was told that if you drink, you're going to hell. And then based on personal experience, I realized that if you drink too much, you feel like hell. I was introduced to the seven ounce Miller ponies at the age of 14. I'm not bragging, that was just my introduction. And I thought that those bottles were used to throw at mile markers. I was all state my junior year. And, uh, and then shortly after that, I spent the night with another friend and he introduced me to Mad Dog 2020. Mm-hmm. After two hours of that, you'll be howling at the moon, <laughs> starving 
for a porcelain throne to get on all fours, man, to go, what just happened? Can I tell you something I never saw in my generation with the guys that I hung out with? I never saw alcohol treated as a beverage. I only saw it treated as a drug. And I saw it treated as that which would create all kinds of liquid courage and lead guys down a variety of paths. Ever seen that happen before? So here's an argument you'll hear people make. When you read in Scripture and you see the word wine, it's really not wine, Tim. It's grape juice. Really. When I became a believer, I didn't know where to start, so I started in the book of Genesis. I got to chapter 9, and it says, after the flood, Noah became a farmer, planted a vineyard. One day he became drunk on some of the wine he had made, and he lay naked in his tent. I don't know about you, but I've been around for a while. I've never had two glasses of grape juice that caused me to want to get naked, lay in the living room floor, and stare at the ceiling fan. (laughs) Welch's has never had such an effect on my body. (laughs) I'm going to let you digest that image for a minute. (laughs) Could you imagine Benji and Hannah coming home, what's wrong with dad? Uh, a glass of apple juice. Oh, bless his heart. <laughs> right? I mean, it's such a sensitive topic. But here's the problem. We often emphasize and attack what we feel less tempted to do. And so for a lot of people, when I was growing up, they would throw rocks at this argument. No, it's wrong. I remember the old pastor boys saying that. I had a guy right when I got saved. He said, a social drinker? is as close to a drunk as a pig is to a hog. And I'm like, do what? (laughs) The fact that you're 5'10", 300 pounds and can't see your tennis shoes, pig to hog makes sense, but I'm not sure I'm buying the argument of having an occasional beer and drunkenness and being a drunk being the same, mixing a treadmill, brother. (laughs) But we love to elevate those sins that we feel good about avoiding. And uh, reality is, this is a bondage for many. So we must be willing to wrestle with biblical truth. What does God say? What does the scripture say? Now, I believe it's important to study the essential doctrines of the faith. I believe it's important to study uh, the virgin birth, the resurrection, uh, what biblical salvation is, what sanctification is. I believe it's important to study inspiration of scripture, uh, the atoning sacrifice, the resurrection again, that Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. But let me tell you this, let me tell you this. You've got to be strong in the essentials, but some of these peripheral things would probably be wise to say, what does God say? And so instead of living in the land of ignorance or the land of just refusing to investigate, you do yourself great harm. And so nobody wants to hear me or you quote out of the book of opinions when the word of God is sufficient. So what does God have to say? When I came to faith in Christ, read that Bible, Tim. I will. Where do I start? Starting the gospel of John. So I did. John chapter 1, I'm like, man, this is awesome. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the the Word was God. And as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I'm like, man, this is solid. I love this stuff. And then it introduced me to John the Baptist, the forerunner who came on the scene saying, make straight the way of the Lord. And 
that you read about Nathaniel and Andrew and Peter and others. And I'm like, man, cool. Chapter 2. Oh, Lord. Then Jesus and his mother and his disciples were invited to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And then the wine gave out. Whoa, 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 hold on. <laughs> Jesus is at a wedding and the wine gave out and all of a sudden Jesus is left in charge of the concession stand and put in charge of refreshments. And he jacks with a lot of my brother's theology right out of the gate. When the wine gave out, Jesus said, fill these six stone water pots up. And so they did. They brought them back and Jesus lays hands and speaks a word of whatever over the six stone water pots. And the head waiter dips out some of this water that has now become wine, not grape juice, the same stuff probably that Noah was sipping. And the head waiter goes, how do you do it? I mean, most people serve good wine first, and when it runs out, they go to the cheaper Boone's Farm flavor. But here you are, you've waited to the end to serve the best. Thus, Jesus launched his public ministry by performing his first miracle. I remember reading that going, the argument that I'm going to hell if I drink is not supported by the manuscript and scripture, and it's not supported by Jesus. So Jesus jacks with our theology and messes with our mind. Read the Bible, read the New Testament. So I got to Matthew chapter 11. Love that chapter. Verse 28 through 30, come to me all you are tired, weary, and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest and take my yoke. And right before that, John came neither eating or drinking. And they looked at him and said, wow, he's got a demon. The son of man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they said, look, he's a gluttonous man, a drunkard, a friend of sinners. Remember reading that going, man, I didn't pray to receive John the Baptist. If that was the standard, then what is the tension? Where do I land? How do I enter into a real conversation without being guilted and shamed in this area? Can I tell you something? When I came to faith in Christ, I didn't drink for 15 years. I stayed away from it because having a beer or a glass of wine it was not a beverage for me. It was a drug. Every time I'd ever used it up until that point, it was to get hammered, sloshed, wasted, or to cop a good buzz. I didn't know how to view it. And because I had no great view biblically and no real strength in myself, I'm like, just stay away from it. And I did. But Jesus was called a gluttonous man and a drunk. And then my friend said, man, you need to read some external stuff. Read Lewis. Lewis, yes, yeah, C.S. Lewis. I'll read Lewis. Which book? Read Mere Christianity. Screw tape, all this stuff is good, but read Mere Christianity. And so I got a copy of Mere Christianity, and I started reading Mere Christianity. And then I was like, who is C.S. Lewis? And I started looking at C.S. Lewis, and him and his buddies would hang out in a pub over a cold beer talking theology, writing some of these profound words. Well, you told me to read Jesus, and I did, and he sipped wine, and you told me to read Lewis, and he loved a big cold draft. So where do I go with this argument? Find the tension, guys. Come on. Find the tension. Where do I land? What's the real read on this thing? I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. I have elders and leadership in this church. First Timothy chapter 3, it lays out pastoral responsibilities and qualifications, and 
First Timothy chapter 3 says, An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, not addicted to wine. It doesn't say he can't have a glass of wine. It says, don't get addicted. Don't allow anything outside of the lordship of Jesus to have control of your heart. And then it goes on to say, deacons must be men of dignity, not addicted to much wine. And so it blew up my little conservative, independent, fundamental, Baptist-flavored introduction to what the faith was because I started studying the scripture going, where do I go with this? And where you go with it is, don't get drunk, don't get dependent. The more you read scripture, it says, don't get drunk. Don't allow anything outside of the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to control you. And don't get dependent on this stuff. We'll get to that in a second. Titus chapter 2. Verse 3, women are to be reverent, not enslaved to much wine. I mean, this wine stuff appears throughout. Paul even writes to Timothy for medicinal purposes. Timothy, sipping a little wine, maybe three, four ounces of a, a little red at night is good for your body, the antioxidants and everything that are in it. It's good for you. Paul would tell him, same word, wine, wine, wine. Same word, John 2. Ecclesiastes 9, go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. So is it wrong biblically or is it wrong culturally or is it maybe wrong for you individually? Because we talk about 1 Corinthians 10 that no temptation has taken you but such is common to man and God is faithful and God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear but with every temptation he will make a way of escape. So you have to look and go what is my variable areas of temptation that I battle with and some people battle with this big time. And so the word must be flee, stay away from it because is it a drug or is it an occasional beverage? Is it a Beverage or is it a bondage area for you? Now, you've got to be honest with yourself. Some of you are sitting in here right now and you know the ruins of it. You're the recipient of the ruins based on some of your family history. And it's jacked with you so much that you would say, alcohol is not going to be in my house. And I get it. I get it. But who controls you and what controls you? Alcohol controls and destroys so many people's lives and we've seen it. We've seen it. I've unzipped with a mom the body bag of a 22-year-old after a late-night crash. I've been in hospital rooms where even one of my best friends, one of the guys that was instrumental in signing me and coaching me my first year in pro ball, hooked up to dialysis, the ruins of alcohol with his kidneys and liver, and just a life wasted, a life that was hurting. And I've seen the ruins of it. Some people are controlled by the sauce. And some people that walk in here are still controlled by the sauce. And Paul would write in Ephesians, do not get drunk with wine. For it leads to dissipation. But be filled and continually filled by the Holy Spirit. I can't not be filled with the Holy Spirit and filled and consumed with alcohol at the same time. One has to leave. He says when you look at wine and alcohol, and Ephesus was a culture where there was a lot of drinking. And, and there was a goddess there, a god there by the name of Bacchus, and that's where the word debauchery or debauchery comes from. And, and it was a god of alcoholism, and they would bow to Bacchus and worship Bacchus and get hammered. He goes, stop it. 
Don't get drunk with that stuff. It dissipates. It disappears. It doesn't last. It's a temporal buzz. It's a temporal high. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't allow anything to mess with the Holy Spirit inside of you if you've repented and responded to the gospel and said yes to Jesus and he's your Lord. Don't do anything to allow the Holy Spirit to be quenched or suppressed in your life. So here would be a few questions for you. Can you go a day without drinking? Can you go a week? Can you go a month? Can you go a year? Can you go the rest of your life? I was talking to a friend whose dad had to meet with a psychologist the other day, and he said, my dad, his dad's in his late 70s, early 80s, he said, when my dad started to crash, he said, we were sitting down, I opened up the trunk, he said, there was a half gallon of vodka in his trunk. Lady's like, it's going to take a while for him to detox and clean him up. Can I tell you something? That is a bondage for some people. There's people in here that say, I can, I, I, I can go a week, I can go a month, I can go a year, can you really? I've had people look at me and say, Tim, I can lay it aside whenever I want to. Why haven't you? When you look at the ruins of your family and the, the devastation that it's brought, and the financial crisis that you find yourself in, and the habitual fights that you find in marriage, and the rejection and the neglect that, that you've had with your kids, and you go, I can leave it aside anytime I want. That's not true. And what you're really declaring is Jesus is not Lord and center of my life. The Holy Spirit doesn't have total freedom in my life. You've got to look at yourself and say, is that true? Do you need a couple of drinks to relax? Do you? Do you use alcohol to drown your sorrows? I've been with guys that way. Man, let's, it's been a crummy day, man. Let's go just tie one on, really. Do you run to the bottle to celebrate, validate, or medicate who you are? If you do, you've got a bondage area there. Is every occasion an opportunity for you to exercise your freedom to drink? If so, you need to tap the brakes and go, hold on. I don't want to be dependent on anything. It's no longer just a, an occasional beverage. It's become a drug in my life. You see, you can't run to John 2 and justify the abuse and misuse of alcohol. And we can't do that. And I've heard people use the John 2 argument forever. Well, Jesus turned water into wine. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it is that you have become sloppy wasted. That's wrong. So if you have a problem, we would love to help you here. If you're in bondage, we would love to help you. Much like talking last week about pornea and sexual sin issues. I mean, there's 20 plus women here last Sunday night, 25 guys in the gym up there. And we had honest dialogue with people really starting to soul talk and get below just street level conversation into the soul to start to talk about this bondage in their life. Can I tell you, we've had people in our church get real and honest about this area that have been set free through the shed blood of Jesus. People that are no longer in bondage. People are no longer suffering the ruins of alcoholism. If we could help you, we would love to do so. Alcohol is destructive to many families and relationships. 25,000 people are killed each year in alcohol-related accidents. 500 people a week 
71 people a day. One person is killed every 20 minutes in an alcohol-related accident. Now, that makes me just want to just stop and say, oh, 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 is it really worth it? You turn on the news, you read the clips, and it's like, what happened? And one of my good friends here, I mean, that night he blew a .28. And his buddy in the passenger seat next to him was killed on impact, and he ended up spending four years, 21, 22, 23, 24, young guy, four years of his life incarcerated. He would tell you, man, I wish I had a mulligan. I wish I would have had a do-over. And I wish I would have tapped the brakes, not that night, but weeks before. I wish I could have been a one beer and done dude. Can I tell you? It is absolutely out of control in our society. One out of every two Americans will be involved in an alcohol-related accident. Alcohol-related crashes are the leading cause of death for people ages 16 to 24. Over 50% of all fatal highway crashes involving two or more cars are alcohol-related. Over 65% of all one single-car fatal accidents are alcohol-related. Thomas, you're a cop. You know the ruins of it. You see the debris. You see the heartache of the families. 80% of all fatal crashes take place between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m., because someone has concluded it's five o'clock somewhere and it's okay. Darkness, deceit, and the enemy, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy comes to disrupt your soul. The enemy comes to, to get a stronghold in your life. We're going to talk about demolishing strongholds next week, but I would say, I would say, I would say it destroys and damages too many lives. Some of you are sitting here going, I know. My dad beat us. My dad rejected us. My mom got hooked on the sauce. My mom had to go to rehab and still, when she came back, she collapsed again. Some of you are sitting here and you go, I know. Some of you are married to a spouse that is so addicted to whether it be alcohol or some pill-related dependency, and you're going, it destroys our house. There's no life. It, 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 it is sacrificing the love of Christ that we need to be having in here, and we know it. We want to help you. We believe Christ is enough, but this is a long battle, and this is a daily fight for each and every one of us if we're going to deal with it properly. Romans chapter 14 says, it can be a huge stumbling block. If another Christian is distressed by what you eat, you're not eating in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ has died. Principle, don't let what you're doing, your eating, drinking, whatever, don't let it hurt somebody else that Christ has died for that he loves. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but it's living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So every opportunity for the pagan is not an opportunity to throw a keg party and get wasted. Don't let your eating or drinking cause anyone else to stumble. Every opportunity for the Baptist or even for us here is not an opportunity to run to the buffet until we eat, until we can't walk. And that's what he's saying. Hey, 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 it's not about eating and drinking. Living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit is where it's at. If you have this attitude, you'll please God.
It's not about abusing yourself. It's not about causing anyone else to stumble. He goes on to say, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. And and so you may have a friend that has had major alcohol issues. Can I tell you something? I wouldn't break out any type of beverage in front of them. I would say, I love you so much, I don't want to see you struggle there. The same thing. It's like there's certain people that are really trying to clean up their body, and it's like throwing cheesecake and throwing whatever. You go, I don't, I don't want you to struggle, man. You've worked so hard to maintain a healthy diet. Man, I'll eat a salad with you. I'll, I'll, I'll go banana and apple for breakfast. That's cool with me too. Give up the gravy and the biscuits. And that's what he's saying here. Let's aim for harmony. Let's try to build each other up. Let's encourage each other. What he's saying is don't be a stumbling block for anybody else. Don't allow what you call your freedom to become a hindrance to somebody else's journey. If you've got the freedom to do something, you've also got to have the freedom not to do it, whatever it is. So we know that alcohol in our society is a stumbling block for some. But so is pride. So is arrogance. So is ego. So is gluttony. So is gluttony, so is worry. I will declare to you in the name of Jesus here today that if you've got a friend struggling with alcoholism and you've concluded that worry is a spiritual gift, you're just as jacked up in your dependence of God as they are. Did you hear me talk? A person that turns to anything outside of Christ to get their needs met is called idolatry. And the person who refuses to trust Christ. So I know a lot of people that will attack alcohol, but they're worry warts. Can I tell you something? You're not trusting God either in that area. Pride, you're not trusting God. You think you're the fourth member of the Trinity with your attitude. That's not working. Gossip? Come on. And you know what the problem with gossip is a lot of times? It's amazing how I can make statements here and someone can take a word or two or three words and twist it and before you know it, they've declared to the masses, I've said something I've never said. Can I tell you, it's not what goes in one ear and out the other that bothers us. It's what goes in one ear, gets scrambled up in our brain and comes out of our mouth and gossip. Just stop. I'm going to pray for that person right now. And you don't have to pray out loud to all your friends where they can hear. Because he says, let us aim for harmony. Let's preserve the unity of the spirit. Self-righteous attitude. I've never had alcohol touch my lips. And uh, based on your appearance, you've never had your feet touch a treadmill. You want to play your little game, the things you've never done? I'll ante up with you. Is that rude? No, I'm not dogging you. But self-righteousness, never done that. I'm capable of doing anything jacked up. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, I can crash. I can drift. I can mess it up just like you can. I just want to encourage you, don't be a stumbling block. Again, we love to emphasize and attack what we feel less tempted to do. 
The scripture says pride comes before a fall. Pride. Romans chapter 14. He says right here, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That's what he says in this text. Hey, check out what you're doing. Be fully convinced. Now, you're going to give an account. You're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God. Whatever I did that was not really in faith was sin. Make sure your life is clean before God. Walk in holiness. I've had people say, but brother, you don't understand. I'm under the blood. I can do whatever I want to do. That's insane. That's immature. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound more freely? Paul would reason with us in Romans 6. And he would say, God forbid. How can I who have died to sin keep living in sin? I don't have the freedom to do whatever I want. I've got the responsibility to do as I should, governed by the Holy Spirit. That's true freedom. As I walk in freedom, I'm walking alive in Christ and the love of Christ. Can you have a glass of wine occasionally? Go for it. Unless you've got major, major bondage addiction areas in the past. Then tap the brakes to say, do I have this freedom? Can you have a cold beer at times? You make the call. But don't cause anyone else to stumble. Don't allow it to become a dependent drug that you've got to have every day. If you can pick it up, you've also got to be able to walk away from it. Some of you sitting here, if you've had alcohol issues, like I said, I went 15 years and totally avoided it. Some of you, it's too fresh for you. Stay away from it. You're not strong enough. And you know the ruins of it. And it could resurrect some of those memories of the past. You go, I don't want to do that. I've had young people look at me saying, well, when I turn 21, I'm going to, you're going to what? You're going to show me what you really believe, and you're going to live out what you really believe. When you turn 21, the legal drinking age, all you're going to do is reveal to yourself and to the world what you really believe. You can't live on barred convictions and hand-me-downs forever. Your parents' faith is not going to sustain you, sustain you during the storms of life. In those tempting hours, the enemy's going to come at you, and what you believe is going to be exposed. And so I'll look at that going, what do, you, what do you really believe? Is Christ really the center of your life? Does he give you the confidence to live it out? Who or what are you trusting? Who or what is your master? Who's calling the shots in my life? That's the real argument. Is Jesus Lord? In our society, this is an area of war. This is a battle for so many people. We want to see you win. We want to walk with you. We'll do anything we can to help you. Butch and others are meeting right now about starting a Celebrate Recovery here. We want to walk with you, whether it's alcohol, whether it's pornea, whether it's narcotics and drugs. We don't care. We believe that the power of the gospel is strong enough to set you free. Because I'm a recipient of it. Now, Proverbs chapter 23 is a very interesting text. Verse 29 says, who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises or bloodshot eyes? The one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks? Don't let the sparkle and smooth taste of wine deceive you. For the end, it bites like a poisonous serpent. It stings like a viper. You'll see hallucinations and you'll say crazy things. 
I can tell you based on personal experience, being hammered, you'll say stuff you would never say in your right mind. Alcohol has a way of totally eliminating a filter. Oh, they hit me and I didn't feel it. Being tossed like a sailor at sea, he says. They beat me up. Didn't feel it. When will I wake so that I can have another drink? Does this sound attractive to you? I read stuff like fighting, crying, complaining, bloodshot, bruised, beaten. <sighs> Can't wait to get up and have another drink. I'm like, really? That's your God? That's how your God is treating you? Do you have a bondage to it? Are you running to it? Is it a drug and not a beverage, an occasional beverage for you? Don't, don't, don't stay beat up there. Don't stay defeated there. I mean, back in my high school and college days, I was always amazed at some of the manifestations of what too much alcohol did with some of the guys I went out with. We, we could be out and a guy would start getting so hammered and tears would start flowing and he became the crybaby. I love you, man. I'm so glad to be with you. I'm like, dude, we need to take you home. We needed Uber back then, brother. Other guys, liquid courage, Lance, romance, the man's regret, the lady's bet. They would talk to every female on the planet. I'm like, when did you get that courage? Other guys would start drinking and they became Rocky Balboa. They wanted to fight everybody in the bar. I'm like, I saw the manifestations of that. I've seen guys all bow up, fighting, crying, complaining, bloodshot, bruised and beaten. I've seen it. That's a messed up journey. Jesus Christ came to be Lord. Jesus Christ did not come to take part in your life. He came to take over. He does not desire just to be a resident in your neighborhood. He desires to be president and ruler over your life. And if I'm allowing anything else on the throne of my life, I got to kick it off. For me, it was declaring the lordship of Christ day after day after day after day. I don't want anything else. I can't handle it, anything else. I just want you. And if that's where you're at today, we want to walk with you. I mean, it's a cheap trick. I want you to want me. I, I mean, it's almost the gospel of Jesus saying, look at me. I want you to want me above everything else. These less wild lovers will let you down. They dissipate. They don't last if that's you today, we're going to spend some time in prayer here in a few moments. You're going, man, I'm beat up in this area. We will walk with you not only today and days to come. We've got people here that say, I'll walk with you. So if it's alcohol or if it's pill addiction or if it's pornea issues, we, we don't care what. We, we believe the gospel will set you free. It starts with violently repenting of my sin. And crying out, saying, Jesus, save me from me. I turn from my sin. I place my faith and confidence and trust in you. I declare your lordship in my life. 
being filled with the Holy Spirit where I'm asking God to fill me 24-7. Lord, fill me from top to bottom, from head to toe. I want the Holy Spirit alive in me. I need you. I'm leaning into you. I'm pressing into you. I've got to have you. If that's you, you're going, I've never declared and asked Christ to be Lord. Start it today. There'll be people here, guys and gals, that would love to pray with you. We want to see you set free. We want to see you know Jesus. But it's going to be a struggle if this is an area of bondage for you. It's not going to be, for most people, it's not over just in a matter of seconds. It may be. I've seen the Holy Spirit set some free, like Chuck. Chuck was in the first service, and he said, I I went out on the porch. I was flat out hammered. And my wife had been praying for me and praying for me and praying for me for years. And he said, I cried out. He said, and I don't know what happened, but I got sober on the spot. He said, I ain't had a drink since then. Because he's a chain breaker. That's who our king is. He'll set the captive free. So our cry and plea with you today is that you would experience the freedom of the gospel. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.